They say Saturdays are for wrestling, December's for the holidays. Put that together. This is a holiday binge here for the month of December on Kicking Out of Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenluth, and this particular episode is like a, a companion piece that we did from a few years back uh, where I gave you Santa Claus's naughty list. Which pro wrestlers in history made Santa Claus's naughty list or would make Santa Claus's naughty list from their devious actions and their deceitful um, characteristics? You know, what What would put them on Santa Claus's naughty list? I gave you that a few years ago. That was a lot of fun. You can find that in the archives over at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network by searching Retromania with a W. You'll find naughty list there. Me and Jamie Garabedian had a lot of fun chopping it up. This time around, I'm with the uh, the, the mayor. I'm sorry, no, not the mayor because I'm the mayor of Kicking Out of Two. I'm with the architect of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network for this particular episode. This is the nice list. So we're going to be going over wrestlers and characters in pro wrestling history that would warrant them being on Santa Claus's nice list. Instead of getting Cole, what favorite toys are they going to get this holiday season? Um, and so with me, my man, Kobe Nida. What's going on, buddy? Hey, hey, Dave. How's everybody doing? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Um, just you know, enjoying the wrestling season right now. This is a, We've talked about this a lot, analog, uh, around Survivor Series all the way to almost Wrestlemania is the season, you know? Um, especially with the holidays coming around, you get nostalgic, you watch old school wrestling, and, uh, you know, you have some snow days, and you binge watch. This is my season of wrestling. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, because, like, right around this time of year um, is where you kind of get seeds planted in terms of WWE, of uh, what kind of direction they might be going in uh, with Wrestlemania. Um you know, back in the day, at least for me, um, the holiday season, like December was like the holding pattern period before you got to the Royal Rumble. And then once like Christmas kicked off and, and the new year, then you were like in, in mode, you know. But it's, yes. it seems to be like earlier and earlier in the last few years that, um, you know, you've kind of planted the seeds for, for, for WrestleMania season around this time of year. Kind of have an idea of like who you're going with and, you know, what, what direction, stuff like that. Um, so... Basically, um, let's just get into the format here, okay? Um, I asked you to kind of give me a list of some wrestlers or some characters in history that you feel would make Santa Claus's nice list and why. Um, it, it could be a particular incident um, that took place uh, in, in wrestling history where you're like, you know what, like that guy deserves to be on Santa Claus's nice list. Or it could just be, you know, the character itself. That you know, there's certain traits and characteristics from this individual that you feel are like, you know what, like that's a stand-up person, that's a stand-up dude, like that. Santa Claus is going to treat him well this year. So, without further ado, why you know, we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth here. I got some names off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm not going to have you know get everybody in, um, you know, with with all the baby faces in wrestling history. But um, and and you know, full disclosure. Some of these names probably were on the naughty list at one point because, as we all know, we're not always good guys and we're not always bad guys our entire career in wrestling history. So um, why don't you get started? Why don't you give me the first person on your list and, uh, you know, why they made the list and, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll discuss and dissect it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I took this a, a little different um, as I typically try to do, but I, I, I like the idea of what you had and proposed and uh, I guess my... My my idea was a little bit different, but no, let's, we'll go with it, dude. Trust me, you know it's open forum, yeah, so we'll go with it. Talking about 
talking about big moments too uh that's great uh if i can start off with one thing that would be on uh the nice list i guess i'll do with uh molly holly because she was always a nice character uh-huh um you know she always and then the moment she helped out um what's his name uh darn it the the green and black mask hurricane. hurricane yeah she helped out and joined up with the hurricane and yes she did have a naughty moment uh later when she joined uh the right to censor but uh no that was ivory that was ivory ivory was in the right to censor not molly Okay, didn't Molly turn eventually, though? Well, Molly she turned and joined up with Hurricane, and she was Mighty Molly, but that was as far as a heel turn we got from her. Well, actually, no, later she turned heel, but she was she was right. kind of doing her own thing. She, okay. She, you could have put her in right to censor. It would have made sense, but... Um, right. Yeah, she was you know, she she was doing a heel thing on her own far long after right to censor was uh, w- w- was put out to pasture. Okay, maybe it was just the haircut that made yeah, me Yeah, she, she had a right to censor style haircut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the little, uh, the, the Karen look. Yeah, she, uh, but all-time all classic, like, overall, uh, a nice character in wrestling. And, you know, always put a smile on people's faces. Had a nice finishing move, too. And uh-huh. a nice butt. Uh, so, I'm throwing that in there. Yeah, she had, a, she, had, she had quite the turd cutter on her, I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I, I, that's my first on my nice list. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you kind of hit it, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head when it came to her. She was, she was a nice character when they brought her in at the time in WWE. She was, you know, the cousin of hardcore and crash Holly. She kind of had that like wholesome, like Mayberry, you know, uh, you know, leave it to beaver kind of like vibe and personality. So yeah, I could I definitely could picture her on the nice. I mean, she was dating Spike Dudley at one point. If you don't know if you remember that on TV, mm-hmm, they kind of did yeah. that little uh, association there. So that was a lot of fun. But yeah, no, definitely a, a spot on the nice list. Um, here, I'll give you I'll give you one of mine. This okay. individual probably deserves permanent residency on the nice list because I can't really picture a time in his career when he ever made the naughty list, but. Um, someone who just always worked hard, always was very, um, you know, optimistic, upbeat, always had a good attitude. You know, his character did at the very least, uh, but always fell short was Tito Santana. Uh, I feel okay. like Tito Santana. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said okay. Yeah, good one. Yeah, I feel like Tito Santana um, deserves a spot in Santa Claus's nice list because, you know. He would come up short in every instance, never cheated, always worked hard, brought his best, um, very fan-friendly. One match in particular that I remember just watching recently uh, was an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event from July of 1990, and he wrestled Mr. Perfect in the main event for the Intercontinental title. And they just, it, the, I think the... I think that show took place in Omaha, Nebraska, and that crowd was, like, wild for Tito. Um... I mean, they they were just they were super behind him a hundred percent, and you know, perfect ended up picking up the victory. Didn't cheat. He just you know was the better man that day. But you know, it was one of those situations where I was like, damn, like what would have been like you know if Tito Santana got a run with the Intercontinental Title again at that stage in his career because he was Intercontinental Champion before and had that classic rivalry with Greg Valentine in the in the uh, the early eighties. But um, yeah, he just always kind of seemed to fall short. Um, get the short end of the stick, but never complained. You know, always did his thing and just, you know, got back on the horse and tried again. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, nice in the way of putting over guys that were coming up, too. 
uh, putting over Sean, putting over Brett, um, helping helping a lot of the younger guys out in the new generation that transition time. Yeah, that's a, a, that's a good point too. Yeah, I mean he was he he, he even behind the scenes, you know, you know, breaking the fourth wall, so to speak. He he made sure that you know the guys coming up, you know, had a better shot than he did. So um, I think one of the reasons, I think if I'm not mistaken, Shawn Michaels was the one inducted him into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2004, and Shawn okay. talked about how like um, a lot of the guys kind of you know wished that they patterned their careers after Tito. You know, Tito didn't have a whole lot of accolades, but he was always universally respected. Um, and I think you and I have talked about it, and I'm marking out the days at one point. I believe Tito Santana was considered for a run with the WWF Championship in the fall of 92 before they went with Brett, which would have been like the ultimate, like, you know... Underdog. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was the El Matador character at the time, and it wasn't, you know, that character wasn't setting the world on fire, but... Um, you know, all the hard work and dedication that he had put into the company, putting anybody over, not complaining, you know, making all his towns. Um, that would have been like, you know, the, the ultimate payback for him, uh, you know, being the WWF champion. Even if it was just a transitional run, you know, to get to, you know, whoever was going to be the next guy that was going to carry the load. Um, especially during that time in 92 when they were just on the midst of uh, the, the steroid trial. But yeah, Tito Santana for me, that's like the first guy that comes to mind, makes Santa Claus's nice list, just because he's an overall hard-working dude that deserves um, that, that, that deserves some recognition and some praise, and yeah, that, that, that's why I put Tito on the nice list. Awesome. Very good. Um, I, I'll, I'll do mine next. Yeah, yeah, go for it. We'll just kind of bounce back and forth, so. For a callback, for uh, like if listeners to marking out the days for us. Yeah. Emotional consideration paid for by the following. <laughs> Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, you got to put him on the nice list, right? He's one of those characters that uh, brings nostalgia if you're an old 80s wrestling fan from uh, the time of like early 80s of WWF peak popping off and becoming pop culture. Yep. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes was always there. They almost did a spoof of uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous and kind of had his voice as the... Uh, host for a lot of classic Coliseum tapes for WWF, and he was also the butt of uh, some jokes for Vince McMahon on Tuesday Night Titans, but all, like all around, one of those characters that you see, you know you're going to have fun with the segment, or you're going to have just some, informa- some information, uh, or something pimped to you or promoted, but you know, Lord Alfred Hayes goes back a long way, I mean, wrestling Bobby the Brain Heenan in the AWA, he was a wrestler himself, and then coming into the WWF and just becoming this uh, uh, Vince makes people into characters so I mean like much as like how JR got the the hat for his barbecue sauce and his old character there Lord Alfred Hayes kind of uh, molded his character into a royal a promotional man but yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know I, I grew up on Lord Alfred Hayes being an announcer so like I didn't know that he was a wrestler but um you know, if you go back and I've heard stories that like he was a fantastic heel, as you know, as, as a wrestler and then even as a manager too. Um, so uh, I, I and I, off the top of my head, I don't remember other than AWA. I want to say, oh shit, I honestly don't even remember where else he's worked. I know like over in Europe, he was definitely a a, a, 
a, a, a decent sized draw over there as a heel manager and even as a wrestler. But the other place in the States I don't remember. I, he might have wrestled in Portland for Don Owens. I could be wrong, okay? And I'm totally, you know, this is off the top of my head. But my my knowledge of Lord Alfred Hayes was always like the jolly little Englishman. Um, but there is some funny stuff when it comes to his work um, in WWF. I've seen like outtakes of, of, of his stuff like on YouTube. Um, I believe there was an episode of Saturday Night's Main Event where they did like a like a, um, a safari jungle theme. And they had him and Gene Okerlund um, dressing up as like safari guys. And you yeah. know, that was a lot of fun. But as a kid... My memories of him is as an announcer for the WWF, doing all American wrestling in the studio, and he was, um, you know, he, he was he was he was quite the nice guy. He always appeared to me to be a nice guy. So he, years, you know, following when I would find out like he was a manager, he was a heel. It was like, oh shit, you know, like just yeah, I, I didn't picture seeing, him like that. But yeah, sorry, I'm just now seeing he he. He had a match with Dory Funk Jr. as the NWA champion. Really? And Bruno, and Bruno San Martino okay. as the world heavyweight champion around the, the 70s. That's cool so, as shit. Uh, hell of a run for Lord Alfred Hayes. <laughs> just just for you guys out there that don't listen to Marking Out the Days, Kobe and I, um, that's a big inside joke. Uh, you know, you got to get that in in one show at one point. The promotion your consideration paid for by the following. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah, you have to. You have to get that. If it pops me and it doesn't pop the rest of you, I don't give a shit. But it's got. It's, <laughs> it, it's really done for my entertainment. But yeah, it's for the boys. Um, okay, yeah. So uh, I'll go with uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Lord Alfred Hayes. Give me another one on your list. I'm, I'm interested to see who else you got in your list. Um, let's. Uh, I mean, Miss Elizabeth. Oh yeah. Uh, this is classic, and this can tie in with another one too. Yeah. I mean, bounce off. Let's do it. Always the the nice smile, the presentable character, and you just felt bad for her being with this maniac, Macho Man Randy Savage, back in the day. And you you know for her all the grief that he put her through and uh, throwing her in the way of opponents at the time, and then eventually, eventually marrying her. Which uh, that's another moment there, I guess that ties in with him being on the list for that bit of his career so what would you say miss elizabeth and macho man kind of go hand in hand or that moment or she has her own tier or what what do you say um you could you could put her in your own in her own tier because she was so nice and kind and soft-spoken um early on in in the run with randy savage even when he was a heel um but you know, then at the same time, you kind of could go hand in hand with the two of them because I want—I—I I, I don't want to say people use people use the term "soft" in a negative connotation in in life in general, and you know, you could say that like she kind of softened him a little bit, his character at the very least. Um, you know, after he lost the title to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at WrestleMania three, and then that's where you kind of got to see a little bit more of a a, a sensitive side. To the Randy Savage character, as hard as that may seem, you know, based right. on you know his appearance and his look and his characteristics, but um, or vulnerable, I guess you could say, um, he was more vulnerable, you know, because when he was a heel with her, you know, he ordered her around like it was no tomorrow. You know, go here, do this, do that, uh huh. And then you know, once you know, she kind of, you know, softened him up, so to speak. 
then he cared more about her well-being. You know, he cared yeah. more about other people, you know, other wrestlers at ringside going after her or managers or whatever. So it gave the madman more of a conscience. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of looking at it. Great way of looking at it. So, um, yeah, you, you could go hand in hand, but you could also go, um, you know, you, you could put Elizabeth in her own tier, you know, at least early on in her run with Randy Savage. But I mean, if, there, if there's one, if there's one moment though that you could put Savage on the nice list, I I have I have one random one. Okay, go for it. Uh, the time that he delivered a elbow drop to Hulk Hogan, reviving him after Hulk Hogan had been powerbombed by Vader in WCW. Okay, interesting. That was awfully nice of him. <laughs> and, to, and, and it's fair, it's awfully nice of Macho Man Randy Savage to continuously help out his buddy Hulk Hogan, who kind of uh, undermines him and uh, leaves him on the back back burner. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, are we gonna are we gonna start doing this whole let's just you know trash Hulk Hogan because you know no, I'm kidding. there was yeah. lust in his eyes, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. but um anyhow um. Yeah, um, Savage, for me, there's a moment on the nice list. <sighs> Shit. I'm trying to think of a good one here, because there's, there's a few. I guess I guess probably the one that comes to mind for me is when, when he won. It, it kind of is in the same vein of Tito Santana, but there was the payoff for him, like, he, he, he worked hard and you know, went through the whole tournament, busted his ass, beat four guys in one four. night. Yeah, WrestleMania 4. I, I would probably have to say it's probably like that moment where like you could say that like he definitively would make Santa Claus his nice list. Um, okay. Because he was, he had, he had, um, he had uh, whatchamacallit, um, you know, just, he, he, he busted his ass, he worked hard, and, you know, he, he, he I, for me as a kid, like, that was like when like he full on turned good guy for me, you know. Like that's where I felt like I really accepted him was when he won the title and he did it the right way. Okay, I'll 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 go with this then. Okay. Uh, since I don't want to bury the brother, dude. No, you can uh, bury I, him. I don't care. I was just fucking with you, but go ahead. I got I got two moments for for Hulk Hogan being on the nice list. Okay, let's hear. The first is him coming in and vanquishing the Iron Sheik. Okay. Becoming the new face of the WWF. Okay. Uh, carrying on this golden era for professional wrestling, turning it into uh, this amalgamation of huge characters and um, over-the-top outfits and uh, really just, you know, created what wrestling kind of is today Mainst- in a way. It made it mainstream. Yes, indeed. And, uh, you know, that moment of him, you know, dropping the leg on the iron cheek brother dude and covering him quickly brother dude and just having that title there and then him holding the winged eagle belt he's one of the first guys that we see holding it um that's just kind of iconic that goes hand in hand with that but uh when he beat second, no i'm saying later you oh, know, later. oh okay and, like, all right i got you. you know so later him having the winged eagle belt and i guess we you can't go without saying slamming andre the giant in front of 900 million people, or 900,000 people, or 90,000 people. Um, yeah, at, at Pontiac Silverdome, I mean, 
Yeah, that that is those two moments: Hawk beating the Sheik and Hawk uh, slamming Andre the Giant are definitely Hulk Hogan's moment for being on the nice list. Okay, those that, are those are it, definitely good ones. Those are yeah. definitely good ones. If I if I were to put Hogan on the nice list, which I will because he's my brother, dude, um, <clears throat> I probably would go with when he saved Randy Savage from Honky Tonk Man and the Hart Foundation on the October 3rd, 1987 Saturday night's main event where Good call. he, you know, that and that was like the true formation of the Mega Powers. That's where like I was, uh-huh. you know, Savage was being attacked, Honky nailed him with the guitar. Miss Elizabeth ran out of the ring after she got shoved down by Honky Tonk Man. She goes and finds Hogan. Hogan's out there, you know. And it's it's almost comical now. As a kid, it was, like, so cool. I was like, oh, my God. Like, because I was starting to, like, dig Savage at that point. And I was always a Hogan fan. So, to kind of see them two together, like, it was just, it, it was, like, for me, like, to equate it in, like, comic book terms, it was, like, when Batman teamed up with Superman, you know? Correct. Um, so, I was like, oh, my God. Hogan's going to save Savage? What is he? And... But now it's comical to watch it because, like, Elizabeth is dragging him out to the ringside area, and he's, like, resisting, and there's all these people, and then once he makes it to that certain part of the aisle, and now he realizes this is why Elizabeth is dragging him out there, like, you know, it's just funny, like, the facial expressions and how he reacts, it's like, what did you think she was bringing you out here for, dude? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, she, she she's asking for help, and you're resisting to help Randy Savage, and, and then you see that he's being attacked, it's like, okay, now I believe you, brother. Like, you know? It, it, it's fucking comical, but as a kid, it was just, like, such a huge moment, it was like, oh my god. Like, you know, so, so for me, like, that's the first one that probably comes off the top of the list, for, is in terms of Hogan's addition to the nice list. Um, yeah, that that for me right there is probably like the ultimate one. I mean, he's you know he's done run-ins and saved guys before and, and shit like that, but that to me probably as a kid had the most impact on me because that was like, that was the moment where like, you know, I started coming around to Savage and then it built and built until like WrestleMania, like I mentioned earlier, WrestleMania 4. But, you know, Hogan and Savage are my top two favorites of all time. Um you know, currently to this day at 37 years old, I have a, a, you know, in my studio, I have, you know, a Hulk Hogan sort of, not, I wouldn't say shrine, but it's, you know, a, a section. Dude, of my, brother, it's a shrine, dude. <laughs> uh, trust me, it's it's nowhere near, my wife wouldn't allow it. Um, but, you know, with a few Hulk Hogan action figures and, you know, a couple of things just dedicated to him, you know, and then I, I'm starting a little Randy Savage one, you know, so... Um, but yeah, that's probably the most impactful moment that I feel would make this make Santa Claus's nice list. Um, I'll give you another one of my own that I feel um, deserves to be on the nice list. Right off the top of my head, um, Booker T. And it isn't necessarily from a character standpoint, but from things, stories I've heard regarding his time in WCW, just his hard work and... You know, coming up the ranks in WCW, like he started out in Harlem Heat with Stevie Ray. They I don't know if you know this, but they originally debuted them as like you know Kane and uh, Kane and Cole, but they had like chains around their neck and they looked like prisoners. 
And they yeah, were there, there's been disputes of one saying, uh, well, we thought of that, and then another time one said, well, no, they told us to do that. Yeah. So, so to come up from that and then do Har- and then you know Harlem Heat was a staple in the tag team division for a long time, and then eventually he would get his, uh, his, his own run in a singles role as a television champion, and then... You know, to, to, to be kind of like, you know, thrown in the drama and the mix of the Vince Russo era. Um, you know, he had kind of done it all in WCW. And then eventually towards the end, he was the champ. And it was one of those, like, it was a cool moment to see that he finally, you know, got the recognition that he deserved. He was like that era's version of Tito Santana, per se. Like, he was popular. Okay. Audience liked him. He worked hard. Um, he delivered in the ring. Delivered on the promos. Uh, and then he finally got that chance to like kind of run with the ball, even though the you know the the game was pretty much over by then. You know when he was the champion, WWF had pretty much run away with it. Um, for me, just his hard work and his 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 path in WCW to to from where he started to where he got got up. You know, and, and his colleagues, I've heard nothing but stories of guys that just you know during their time in WCW, they always respected his work, respected his attitude. His, his ability in the ring, to me, Booker T, in that moment, in that era, definitely would make Santa Claus's nice list. Absolutely. I, I was always a fan of uh, Booker T, man. And uh, even as Harlem Heat, I, he was the standout guy for me. And I, the reason I always picked that tag team when I would play the video game WCW Revenge, um, I definitely picked up on Booker T more. He had that killer hangover uh, finisher where he flips off the top and delivers a, a, a flipping leg drop, yeah. essentially. Like a somersault leg drop, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, the Harlem it's Hangover. Old, it's old like neck bone. Yep. And uh, just, you know, the things that he would say, and then when he had that little Best of Seven series with Chris Benoit, that's when I kind of was like, wow, Booker T is, he's up there. He, sh- he deserves a big run. And then, yep. To, to Vince Russo's credit, giving him that run, like you said, I mean, that that solidified him as a top guy. And WWF coming in there, he, he had a good push at first, and then it kind of simmers in WWF. Yeah, but. I mean, when it came to his WWF run, WWE run, um, you know, I, I was a big Booker fan. Like, I became a big Booker T fan, I would probably say around the same time as you with you know the stuff with Benoit even like I'll never forget he had a great match with Rick Martel on a pay-per-view when Rick yep, Martel yes. was in WCW for the TV yep. title like some really kind of carried Rick Martel through that match too yeah because I think Martel got injured during the match mm-hmm. I want to say and then uh you know Booker kind of carried him through but um you know then his run in WCW like I enjoyed the stuff he did with uh with Jeff Jarrett their work um one of my favorite Booker T matches of all time and I'll never forget this match because it was just so fast paced, and it was it was it wasn't like a, a classic, but it was a really fun match. It was he had a match with Lance Storm on a Nitro, and I think in like August of two thousand, and it was one of the it was one of the best Booker T matches I've seen, and it was it was early in his run as the champion. Um, I, I highly suggest you check that out. But um, when it came to the WWF, I was really you know I had high hopes. Because he was a top guy in WCW, even though people didn't perceive him as that when he came into WWF. But he really hit his stride when he did King Booker. Um, And, you know, that to me was when, like, they took him more seriously. uh, Or or at least the company did. And and, and put him in, you know, main event spots. 
Um, because for the most part, he had bounced around tag team mid-card for the better part of, you know, four or five years. But once they gave him the king, and then they gave him a run with the belt, um, that's when they were they were, they were were really serious about, you know, keeping him up top. And it was unfortunate that it took them that long. And But he ran with that character, you know what I mean? King Booker is probably one of his better characters. Um, right. You know that that he had that he had performed under, but yeah, Booker T and his hard work in WCW to get to where he was, definitely a spot in the nice list. Yes, absolutely. Um. Okay, you want me to go? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, we'll just bounce back and forth. Yeah. No, um. Talking about good saves earlier, let's talk about uh when the Undertaker first turns face. This kind of puts him on the nice list. Um, when he saved. Miss Elizabeth, correct? Yeah. From uh, from Jake the Snake tying in with uh, Macho Man. Yes. Um, so that was a big that was a big turn for Undertaker. He was already gaining popularity, but this showed that the guy had uh, somewhat of a heart inside of that dead soul. Yeah. And like uh, you said, conscience. And yeah, yeah. He uh, and then he he went on to defeat Jake the Snake Roberts at that year's WrestleMania, and then continued his face run from there. And it, it was it was this interesting moment where I guess Vince finally got he was like you can be a dark uh, spirit or dark person and ha- and still be a good guy. I yep. guess this was the first uh, iteration of like uh, the the bad guy's cool. Yeah, yeah, the, like the 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 antihero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. I mean, that's a that's a that's a that's a great choice there. Um, as a youngster. I had a hard time understanding that because, like, I always thought, like, Undertaker, death, bad, you know? Like, he right. was with Jake the Snake. They crashed Macho Man's wedding and the, the Cobra incident and all the things that they were doing. He beat Hogan for the title a few months prior. Like, I was just very, like, it was a, as a youngster, I didn't understand it. You know, it was a rough transition, you know, because I was always, I was very black and white. Good guys, you know, bad guys. There was no gray yeah. area. There was no gray area for me. Undertaker was probably one of the first guys where it was like there was some gray area there, so it took a little adjusting too, to 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 get him as a babyface for me. But that's a great moment because you didn't see that coming. At least I didn't. Very unexpected. Um, same for especially for his character. That's why I'm bringing it up now. I, I was the same as you. Yeah. No, but that's a great choice. I like that. Um, let me bounce off here. Let me let me come up with another name. Um, Someone who deserves to be on the nice list in wrestling history. Um, I'm going with the one, two, three kid. Oh my God, that's on my list. You got him on your list too. All right, well then, why don't we just do that? Why don't you talk about your your reasons for putting one, two, three kid on Santa Claus's list? Uh, um, he was always a good tag team partner. He always helped out and uh, was a great character when he was fiery on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, like first coming up. In, from Minneapolis or that territory where Vince got him, uh, what was it? GWF? Was he G- yeah, he was in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was in Global in Dallas. Okay, this is after yeah. this is after the World Class years, but yeah, he was in Global in Dallas. Yeah, picking him up as the kid, and then eventually becoming the one, two, three kid uh, in that angle with Razor Ramon. Uh, I mean, just me as a kid. If we're going back to that, he was my hero. I was like. He's, he seems like a kid, like a, a, a 
someone I could be friends with or like the cooler older brother, you know? Yep. Um, someone that was fast and he had the kicks, which we both have gone over this plenty in the 90s. I'm sorry. Having any of kicks. Okay, you, you just cut out for a minute there. I, my, my apologies. Oh, I'm sorry. No, um, it's okay. So, yeah, like uh, we spoke about before in the 90s, having any type of karate skills or kicks was very, uh, was very uh, in the pop culture. Yeah. Um, and it was popular for kids. And the one, two, three kids, even his gear. I liked his gear, you know? Uh-huh. His, uh, his attire was great. Um, but the times that he teamed up with Marty... And being that tag team partner there, and then uh, Bob Holly, and then I guess just uh, the smile from the one, two, three kid. That those are my little pinpoints. No, that's a great, they're all they're all great points. I, I, I if I could piggyback off of that, go the overall theme there with him um, was loyalty. You know, his loyalty <clears throat> to his partners, Razor Ramon in particular, um, who he had you know made a debut against. Um, on Monday Night Raw in May of 93, the upset victory, and it just, like, launched from there. And the, the, his appearance, too, you know, he's a young, impressionable kid. He, even as, even in, you know, at, at 10, 11 years old, when I would look at him on TV, I'd be like, he can't be that much more older than me. Like, he's got to be, like, what, 16, 17 years old, you know? And, and then you kind of feel like you could relate to him. So... Um, because of the way he presented himself and, and carried himself on television, um, and you know his loyalty. Once again, a hardworking babyface doesn't necessarily cheat to to, to win. Um, you know, does the right things. Uh, loyal to his partners and his and and his um, his his allies in the wrestling world. Yeah, definitely a spot on Santa Claus's nice list. Um, who else you got? Okay, uh, let's go something more modern of a one-two-three kid in my in my opinion. Uh, let's do. I mean, if we're gonna go chronologically, I guess. <clears throat> I mean, we're Daniel all over Bryan. the place. It doesn't matter where we go. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just, yeah. I, it's kind of a one and one. It's a two and one combo. Daniel yeah, Bryan. Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston. Okay. Uh, yeah, I like that. Because of the stories. Um, Man, Daniel Bryan was a guy that I'd never heard of until the year before he joined WWF when I kind of got out of my dark ages again in in 2007. And uh, then I saw a couple matches on Ring of Honor television, him and Tyler Black, who is now Seth Rollins, um, having some great matches on HDNet TV back in the day. Oh, wow. Really dating himself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, him coming in and uh, just, I, I thought there was a lot of steam for him at first, but then, you know, there was a couple hiccups. And then, of course, the the underlying story is he was a B-plus player. He was not really the guy that they were looking for, the body, the build, but that's the underdog story and the smile on the kid's face. Um, you know, th- I think that goes a long way. Um and then him just fighting his way up through the cards, um, through you know putting on a hell of a hell of a lot of matches with uh, the Miz during this time too. Yeah. Um, for the United States title, and then getting along with Ziggler as well, which kind of 
you know, goes hand in hand. But then having the whole moment of Daniel Bryan is good. Uh, you know, John Cena trying to help put him over, but everybody knows he was good. And then uh, having Daniel Bryan finally uh, have that WrestleMania moment, man, that was good for wrestling fans. That was nice for us because, uh, you know, it felt like this, this hardworking character finally got their due and uh, overcoming some big hurdles, too. Yep. Um, but then going into Kofi Kingston, uh, Kofi Kingston was always a nice guy, still is. And in a way, uh, a detriment to his character uh, to some degree because of the steam. You don't see some fire behind him so much as you do with Daniel Bryan. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that was a good contrast with eventually Kofi Kingston fighting his way up through the ranks in WWF and uh, always becoming this underdog or nice character, or getting the short end of the stick, and not really getting a push, but then all of a sudden uh, having a victory over AJ Styles and uh, plans changing quickly. And Daniel Bryan, behind the scenes, uh, we're breaking the fourth wall, uh, putting in a word for Kofi Kingston saying uh, this should be the story. This is what we should do. And essentially altering the role of Daniel Bryan into the heel that he was before. Uh, I mean, the heel that he faced, you know, years prior, uh, like four or five years prior um, in his WrestleMania run. And then there we go. uh, Kofi Kingston having that nice moment of uh, beating Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania and becoming the first uh, black WWE champion, which is nice in itself. Um, And, Like I say, to a detriment, Kofi Kingston uh, may be too nice. He's one of those characters that uh, he's always going to be a nice guy. You can never really pin him as a heel, could you? Uh, Sorry for rambling, but that's... No, no, no. No, by all means, no. Don't don't apologize. Um, Everything you said on both both fronts, I I, I totally agree with. Um, Let me start with Daniel Bryan. I wasn't really too familiar with him other than reading stuff on the internet. Uh, you know, the American Dragon, his time in, in Ring of Honor. He was trained by Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, I, 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 I didn't have too much familiarity with him. You know, this was in a period of time where, like, streaming, you know, wasn't a big thing. So it was like, you know, if you had to watch his stuff, you'd have to go on YouTube. And I didn't have any patience to sit in front of a computer at the time. This is even before smartphones were a thing. Um to, to, to watch wrestling, you know, I was very conditioned, like, I'm going to sit down on my couch and I'll watch wrestling on TV, um, and to some, right. degree, to, to some degree I still am, so I didn't get a, a whole lot of exposure of Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson on the independent scene, um, especially in Ring of Honor, but I had heard some stuff. I watched a couple of uh, matches on DVD, some old Ring of Honor DVDs that I, I used to have that he was on, but um, I didn't really pay too much attention to him, but... I knew the the hype going in when he was signed with WWE, when they brought him in, um, and they capitalized on his name on the indie scene, which I thought was kind of interesting when he first started out pitting him as the underdog. Um, yeah. And they didn't really build from it until they were forced to with the B-plus player storyline and how John Cena kind of endorsed him. That stuff was a lot of fun. Um I had become more and more a Daniel Bryan fan over time. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to go to the WrestleMania in New Orleans when he won the title. And wow. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, first-hand experience, let me tell you. That was the last WrestleMania I've attended. And 
that was probably my favorite WrestleMania for a number of reasons. Um, because so much happened on that show. Uh, but just to be in the Superdome, um, not the Silver Dome, brother, the Superdome, uh, for him, when he came out to wrestle Triple H in that opening match, I mean, that, that show started with Hogan, Austin, and Rock all kind of toasting and kind of, you know, passing the WrestleMania torch, so to speak, to the new era. And that was my far my favorite moment of the entire evening. But, you know, the crowd was super pumped for that. And then you come out for Daniel Bryan and Triple H, and that crowd was, you know, even bigger um, when he came out. I mean, I just I remember looking around, like, at the entire stadium, and everybody, I couldn't see anyone not doing the yes chant, you know, when he came yeah. out. And then when he beat Hunter to, and to, to advance to the main event later in the evening, the place just, like, I couldn't even hear myself think. You know, like that's how loud it was. And so to be there for that moment, you know, people say that like, oh, he wasn't supposed to have that moment because, you know, of, of all the narrative behind the scenes with his push and or his original plans. He was going to wrestle Sheamus and, um, you know, the whole CM Punk thing played into a factor as to how he got in the spot to wrestle Hunter because originally Punk was supposed to wrestle Hunter. Um, right. So... I feel like even though he wasn't originally supposed to be in the main event plans, it made sense in his story, both on camera and behind the scenes, that it played out the way it did. You know what I mean? Like, you kind of understand what I'm saying? Like, he, even though he wasn't scheduled to be, you know, in the title match and didn't have a serious role at WrestleMania, because he was supposed to just wrestle Sheamus in a standard singles match, um... It kind of made sense that like he went through this roller coaster up and down, not only on camera but behind the scenes to then get to where he he is or where he was at the end of the night. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it it, it all made sense. You know, people all you know. I, I've I've talked to fans before where they've said, "Oh, you know, he wasn't even supposed to have that match," and you know, he's even said that he you know Brian's even said that you know they had no plans for him in the main event. But you know, it all it all made sense. It was almost like. It was written to be that way, you know. That it was written for him to not have a spot in the WrestleMania main event. But the CM Punk departure was such a big blow to them at the time that the fan they knew that the fans were gonna, you know, cry bullshit that Punk was gone. So they had to make up for it in some manner. And they knew, well, we got Brian. He's over. Let's fucking pull the trigger. You know, they were forced to do it, but they did it and they made the right move. And it made for a great moment. I mean, shit. How many WrestleMania highlight reels do you see now where you see the shot of him standing on the announcer's table holding up both titles, pyro and fireworks, you know, and, and confetti flowing in the air. The kid, Connor McCulloch, the, you know, who passed away a week after that, sitting front row, he hugs Daniel Bryan. How many times have you seen that in those WrestleMania highlight reels? Like, it was... Oh, all the time, now. You know what I mean? You, they say, like, you can't write this stuff. But then in this case, you could at the same time, and it just worked. And it just, even though it was organic and it was forced, it, it made for such a great moment. And like you said, all his hard work to where he's come from to 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 that moment, definitely a spot in Santa Claus's nice list. And now, on the on the front of Kofi, like you mentioned, um, hardworking guy, delivers, well-liked, um, you know, over with the audience. Uh, definitely a great moment for his character, um, and, and just for him as a human being to you know be in that spotlight. Um, and like you said too, kind of hard to position him as a bad guy. Can't really hate him, um, although 
in the early run of New Day, when they were becoming, you know, when they were just really starting to catch on as as heels when they started out, he was he was a little annoying. But there was, you know, the the focus was really more so like Woods of the group at that time. Like he was the little right. he was like the little weasel heel. But there would be times too where like Kofi would get some heat, and I'd be surprised. I'd be like, damn. You know, like, I didn't expect the people to, to react the way they did towards him in that scenario because uh-uh. Kofi works like a baby face, you know? And I and I and in the beginning of that run, I used to say to myself, no one's going to believe him as a bad guy because people are going to pop for his shit when he's in the ring. But I'll be honest with you, he he wasn't the worst heel in the world, you know what I mean? He, he got the audience to kind of shit on him a little bit, you know, and, and I and I saw some range there, and I think then eventually they turned them back, because the audience, it was so popular with the audience, you had no choice, but you had to, um, you know, he's better fit as a baby face, but that moment, Wrestlemania, when he won the title, and the, the story with Daniel Bryan, you know, oh, yeah. it, it was it, it was great stuff, I remember my wife watched it with me, you know, that, that Wrestlemania was, that was the last time there was a Wrestlemania with an audience, and um, it was about two and a half hours into the show, and she was like, she she was like, this is it? This is the main event? I'm like, no, there's still like 12 more matches to go. And she was like, well, she, she watched it. She was like, she started crying, you know, because my wife's a sensitive person. And um, then she was like, I'm going to bed. It was an it. emotional moment. Yeah, it was. It very it very much was, you know. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Like, I had a little lump in my throat. Like, God damn, like, I've watched this guy for 11 years. And I never thought I'd see him as the champion. And this is cool. You know what I mean? This is cool yeah. as shit. Like, yeah. I, I could probably never picture him as the champion again because of how they've positioned him now. But because that moment was created organically, it was such a cool moment that, like, I wouldn't be upset if he never became the WWE champion again. Because I don't think you, right. can, I, I don't think you can create anything like that. So for all his hard work and his dedication to the company and him being there for so long that, you know... Um, you know, just kind of being stuck in one pattern, one role to see him as the champ, man. Yeah, definitely. Like that, that, that was Santa Claus's reward for Kofi Kingston in WWE was to be the champ. Yeah, for sure. Um, let me go with, let me, let me try and think here. Um, cause I got a few of these off the top of my head. Um, if there's someone else I would put on Santa Claus's nice list. I'd have to go with Sting. Okay. Okay. Sting, to me, as a youngster, you know, larger than life, colorful with the face paint, but he always seemed to have issues trusting people. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, at, at one point, he was a member of the Horsemen, which was very short-lived. It was only done to, to get him to flare, and... The horseman kind of dogged him, and then, you know, that set up the match with him and Flair for the belt, which he eventually had won. But then he was always a target, you know, and, and like most babyface champions, um, you're always the target, you know, everyone's coming after you. But I felt like, I can't, I can't really explain it, but as a kid, I always felt like they really kind of like singled out Sting extra, you know, whether it was Cactus Jack, whether it was Vader, whether it was the Dangerous Alliance. It was like, it just felt like they were going the extra mile on television in in the storylines to really single him out more so than like 
like you would see like in WWF where Hogan had all those challengers. Hogan fought all those guys. Hogan went through the whole the gamut of all the heels facing him for the championship. Whereas like I felt like and and he could handle that. I felt like Sting's character had a little more vulnerability, and so Sting to me, you know, I just felt like got the short end of the stick. Um, and then you know he couldn't trust guys like Lex Luger, and then eventually, you know, WCW turns on him during the NWO storyline when the NWO brought in the fake Sting, and we all thought he was the Sting had joined the NWO, and then he he goes into that dark period, creates the Crow character, but then like he starts to rise up from all of that, and you know they the NWO kind of created this monster with him, and he got his redemption. And won the title and defeated Hogan um, at Starcade 1997. To me, Sting makes the naughty list just because, like, he's another one of those guys in front of the camera. His character worked hard, you know. He, he trusted the wrong people, but he still kept moving forward. And then he finally had his breaking point moment. Kind of did the loner thing, but then turned things around and knew that he had to kind of like right the ship and steer the ship for WCW against the NWO. Behind the scenes, if I were to give him a, a spot in the nice list, it's probably because of his loyalty to WCW and all the shit that they fucking made him do when when Jesus, when, right. when wrestling was, you know, in the in the shitter at one point. Yeah. And, and just him being the face of WCW, man, and then th- them treating him like the back burner. I mean, uh, to a degree, Sometimes, you know, uh, people say that Sting couldn't carry a match or, you know, and sometimes didn't have the best promo. So they were always, WCW was that, that was the death of WCW was always looking for the next top guy when they had two of them right there. Yeah. It was always Sting and Flair, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, Sting is a character, even when he was heel, it was hard to accept his heel run. Yeah, uh, because he, he's just so. You look at him; he's like the 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 golden boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in his dark phase, he was the dark knight. Yep. Um, you know. And what Definitely about when, what about when Hogan came in? You know, like you said, put on the back burner, and yep. you know, just kind of forgotten about in in, in many ways. Um, but he still, you know, he still produced, and he still was recognized, like you said, as the as the face of WCW, the franchise. So you know, to to. Yeah, I don't see why he wouldn't be on the nice list. I don't see why Santa Claus wouldn't fucking reward Sting. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's one for you. Okay. A member of High Energy. Coco Beware. Okay. All right. Coco Beware. Elaborate. Uh, classic, Let's hear this. Classic face all the time. Uh, you know, the, uh, I guess a jobber to the stars, if you will. But, uh, you know, Coco Beware with Frankie was always putting a smile on children's face. He always had positive energy, but he could throw down in the ring. Yep. And uh, we've talked about this before, that before his WWF run, he was a pretty strong, um, pretty strong badass in the Georgia territory and had a tag team and uh, with Stagger Lee, who was Junkyard Dog. And, uh, and you know, they did some, some roughneck stuff in the... I guess the Memphis and Georgia territory, but uh, yeah, them coming in as the Birdman, like who who doesn't like a 
a big what what type of bird was it? A cockatiel? Parrot? A parrot? Know, maybe. A parrot? I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm not a bird connoisseur, so I couldn't I, I could I couldn't tell you. <laughs> um well just him coming in with 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 uh the the bird Frankie and doing all that, you know, he had a great voice and as you heard, uh his little vibrato where he sang uh high energy he sang the pile driver song right but yeah album? yeah he was also a part of the 1987 uh pile driver yep so yeah that was that was nice um i mean even his attempts you know going up against main wrestlers you, you knew that he would fall victim but he, he still he still was one of those guys that was uh the underdog that you love to root for. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, I mean, he's the one that took the Undertaker's tombstone first. He had the first match on uh, Monday Night Raw, mind you, against Yokozuna in a losing effort. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say Coco Beware and Frankie going on that list. Did you ever hear how Frankie passed? No. Do tell. Oh, man. In March uh, 2002, uh, Coco Beware and his family, they were uh, going out to church, and the house burned down, and Frankie was inside, and uh, Frankie burned alive. You know what I'm going to do when I when I put this in post-production? I'm going to put The Undertaker's music in the background as you're explaining <laughs> this story, so we can create this like really sad moment, and as I'm talking about this, The Undertaker music will still be playing right now, so... <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever heard the story on Bruce Pritchard's podcast about when Jim Cornette's rat George died? Uh, yes. Um, that's one of the one of the, the original vid- episodes. Yeah. They, yeah. They did that there. I might do that for this. I might rip that off just for that moment okay. when you explained it. I mean, if you want to yeah. go in detail of how the rat died and like the coroner's report and shit like that, like. You know, by all means, or the, the the bird, I should say. Sorry for all those animal rights activists out there that just mislabeled them. I did, yeah, I didn't identify with its gender properly. Sorry. Um, no, uh, Frankie was later sold as a six piece. No, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> this is supposed to be a nice list show. Come on now. <laughs> no, but that, just... that's that's a, a, a you know, Coco Beware with the bird. That was always a nice memory for me of wrestling, and uh, I guess he deserves to be on that list for being a, a jobber and a nice character in the WWF golden era. Okay. You know, I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'm going to go with another guy a little bit different. He doesn't necessarily make the nice list for doing all these nice, his character doesn't do all these nice things, but for having to put up with all the shit that his character did in this particular rivalry and then the payoff, I feel like he definitely deserves to be rewarded, uh, you know, by Santa Claus, you know, on this particular uh, given event, uh, Tommy Dreamer. Okay. Tommy, and actually, I, I, I guess you could say, like, on a number of levels, you could put him on the nice list. Behind the scenes, he was loyal to ECW. He was, you know, he 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 gave up, you know, pretty much his life for that company um, on a number of occasions, working behind the scenes and trying to help the company grow um, and sacrificing everything to. For, to keep it running, um, well, I shouldn't say everything, but for the most part, he was a very integral part behind the scenes in, in helping Paul Heyman 
produce television, writing, uh, you know, merchandise, doing all kinds of crazy. You know, it was an all hands on deck kind of operation, and he was a big part of that. Um, so, you know, his loyalty to, to ECW and to keeping the brand alive uh, in the 90s, I think deserve, definitely warrants him a spot on the nice list. But in kayfabe terms and storyline, uh, Tommy Dreamer probably deserves a spot in the nice list for having to put up with Raven's shit for about two years or so in their rivalry. <coughs> Everything Raven threw at him with the BWO and primetime Brian Lee and... Um, you know, Kimona and Beulah and all the stuff that Raven was doing. You know, Raven just cheating his way to win every single time against Tommy Dreamer. And Tommy Dreamer just couldn't get the victory. And then finally, in 1997, right before Raven leaves to go to WCW, Dreamer finally defeats Raven in a one-on-one match um, at Wrestlepalooza 97 on his last night in ECW. Uh, to me, Tommy Dreamer definitely deserves a spot um, on Santa Claus's nice list. Very good. Um, I can't really add too much more than that. I mean, he's just a nice, nice character, like you said, for putting up with that shit. All right, here's mine real quick. Mark Eaton. Mark the Eaton, the timekeeper? Yeah, the guy who threw the beer for Stone Cold, more or less. Damn, that's, that's a, wow, I didn't, I wouldn't have picked him, but yeah, no, let's, uh, let's hear it. I want to hear it. Well, I mean, what nicer of a guy to have a good arm to give us those moments all the time <laughs> to throw in those damn Bud Steve Weisers to Steve, man. Oh, man. I'm telling you, that okay. is some good moments. You know what? Yeah, I mean, if you're nice enough to, 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 to throw the... Yeah, okay. All right. Keeping the time and throwing the beers. Keeping the He's, time and throwing the beers. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Who else? Who else do you got? I'm I'm curious because you know what? Honestly, like, and full disclosure, we're gonna break the fourth wall here because you know that's the thing we do. But you know, when I talked with Kobe about this, you know, I I had brought up the format, and you kind of like you said at the beginning of this recording, you took a little bit of a twist, a different turn, so to speak. And so you know, I dig that. I'm all about kind of changing things up here. So um, you have when I when you showed me some of the guys on your list, I was like. Interesting. Okay, so I, I want to hear some of these other names that you got on the list and your okay. reasons why. Uh, Jameson. Uh, Jameson, the famed uh, short-lived broadcaster slash manager for the Bushwhackers. He was, um, like the, he was like their buddy, like their mascot, I guess you could call. Yeah, and he, he was he was he was special. And trying to be funny, like they're like the WWF's ripoff Jerry Lewis or something. Okay. To the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, I know what you mean. So I, I put I put him on the list for that, and he he got his ass whooped a couple times. Am I am I correct? Um. Yeah, I think he got beaten up. Like I see, I don't remember a whole lot of Jameson. Um, in WWF, I know that like he used to be a regular. I want to say on primetime wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he worked behind the scenes for them. I don't remember what he did exactly for them behind the scenes, but they they created this character for for, for TV, and he was kind of like a mascot to the Bushwhackers. Love, he's like the lovable loser. Yes. I, I guess you could kind of like you know put it. Um, and you know, wimpy guy got bullied a lot. You know, yes. he, a little unorthodox. You know, glasses were all broken, so he had like the tape in between the glasses and. Uh, hair was messed up. He had like a, a a cheap suit that you know looked like you know he had picked it out of a dumpster. Uh, but he was just very lovable. People felt 
people sympathized with the character, but it didn't really last very long. The only no, kind of, the only kind of, the Brain Heenan had had kind of a tit for tat going back, but it, it didn't gel too well. He was his character was in. Yeah, you know? it yeah, like I said, didn't last very long. He had some short lived uh, short lived runs on uh, primetime wrestling, and even the Bobby Heenan show when that was short lived on primetime wrestling. Um, and then he did some stuff with the Bushwhackers. I want to say he might have had a rival. The Bushwhackers might have had a rivalry with the Beverly Brothers, and so he yes, kind of was like that's what it was. opposing the genius. Yep. Um, maybe stuff with Jimmy Hart. I could be mistaken, but I don't remember too much of Jameson. But yeah, just a lovable yeah. loser. Felt bad for him. You know, he just you know wanted to be a part of the show, and the Bushwhackers kind of in, in like in, you know inducted him into their crazy world, and he was like the mascot for them, but it didn't last very long. Yeah, and in kayfabe terms, uh, Santa definitely would add him to the nice list just for going through all that ruckus. He would get a nice present. Yeah. I'm going to put someone on a nice list that I'm not very fond of these days, like, in terms of, like, how he conducts himself publicly. And I think you kind of know who I'm talking about, but from a character standpoint... I'm going to put Brett the Hitman Hart on Santa Claus's nice list because I feel okay. like if I didn't, then, you know, um, there would be hashtags out there that said Santa screwed Brett. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm smiling ear to ear right now, so I'm waiting for you to give me your reason why. Well, okay. So, as, as many people that listen to this show know, Many people that, you know, have followed, you know, what we, you and I do on marking out the days when it comes to Brett. Um, I'm not a big fan of how he conducts himself publicly in interviews. It seems like the status quo Bret Hart public interview, whether it's a podcast or a website interview or what radio interview, whatever it is, um, there seems to be like a checklist. Like, and you got to check off all these boxes in order to have a successful Bret Hart interview. And it's usually... I'm going to trash Hulk Hogan. I'm going to trash Eric Bischoff. I'm going to talk about the screw job. I'm going to trash Triple H, Vince McMahon, um, Goldberg. Um, talk about how great I am as a worker. And then give myself credit for everyone else's success or or admit to that, you know, I, I saw that guy's success before that guy saw his success. You know what I mean? Uh, case in point, he, he had said that, you know, Years and years ago, he had saw Steve Austin as a successful guy when he was a tag team wrestler. And, you know, he he was the one that told Vince, like, oh, you should be doing more with him. You know, shit like that. So, like, yeah. to me, like, a, a, a Bret Hart interview is, if he's not trashing someone, then there's something wrong. And I just feel like, you know, he's so bitter about everything. Doesn't shut up about Montreal. Like, it's, like, it's a... It, it's beating a dead horse. I'm done talking about it. You know, I talked about it on, on, on my show recently, the, the possibilities of Vince screwing Sean, you know, and what would have happened yeah. if Vince decided, you know what, I'm sick of your shit. So I, I kind of took a little bit of a different twist when it came to that, um, just because Montreal's been done to death, you know. Everyone's talked about whether it's a work, whether it's a shoe, um, you know, and, and, and the, the ramifications coming out of that. I feel like Bret Hart has made a living off of talking about the screw job and just trashing people left and right, you know. Everyone he's you know, he's had a problem with, you know, everyone practically. You know, if if he doesn't trash someone in an interview, there's something wrong. So, Kate, my point being as I've kind of gone around the block here, um, when it comes to him publicly now, 
I, I don't care for him, you know. It doesn't mean that I don't respect his work and his contributions and what he's done. And I'm not taking away his contributions to the industry because he's, you know, an all-time great. I will never take away his work. But, mm-hmm. you know, publicly now, like, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I could care less for him. Honestly, I really could. Because um, I, just, I just don't respect who he's become as a human being. Um, but you know, who's to say he did, he doesn't deserve or isn't warranted for feeling the way he is because he's the one that worked with these guys and he's the one that went through these situations. But I just feel like enough's enough. Like, quit bitching. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you enjoy the fruits of your labor? You know? And, and, but nonetheless, the reason why I'm putting him on Santa Claus's nice list is because <laughs> after burying him, after, after pretty much burying him. Yeah. With, with, with both my shovels. Okay. Not just one, two, um, after after burying the shit out of him and put you know the reason why I'm putting him on Santa Claus's nice list or the reason why I feel like he warrants a spot on Santa Claus's nice list for actually you know there's a few reasons okay um, in terms of storyline on camera there was a number of instances where Brett got the short end of the stick um, 1993 for instance short end of the hockey stick. <laughs> he loses the title at WrestleMania 9. Hogan swoops in, takes the title from Yokozuna, and then, uh, you know, Brett's kind of, I wouldn't say put out to pasture, but he's not in the title scene for quite some time. Okay? He's going, he's got a rivalry with Jerry Lawler, um, and then. Throwing. The all in, you know, stuff like that. Um, leading to WrestleMania 10. He finally gets that big moment after, you know. Um, the year that he had had from losing the title, all the things that his character had gone through, Jerry Lawler humiliating him, his brother turning on him, you know, he had this uphill battle, and then he finally, he ties the Royal Rumble match with Lex Luger to then earn an opportunity at the title at WrestleMania 10, losing to Owen earlier in the evening, but then coming back and, and, and defeating Yokozuna, you know, great feel-good moment for his character, um... Another reason why um, I would put Bret Hart on the nice list is the shit he had to do in 1995 on television and the guys he had to work with. Like, 1995, to me, is just like a shit year for wrestling in terms of the quality of it. You have your gems, your hidden moments, but for the most part, 1995, looking back on it 25 years ago, was just not a great year for wrestling. And... Bret Hart was saddled with a lot of fucking bullshit. You know, he started the year with Diesel, okay? Had the championship match at the Royal Rumble with Diesel. Then they put him in an atrocious I Quit match with Bob Backlund. Then after that, he's in a storyline with Hakushi where Jerry Lawler and Hakushi are accusing him of being a racist towards Asian people, okay? (laughs) Then he's got to wrestle Jerry Lawler in a Kiss My Foot match, you know? And then he's got to wrestle Jerry Lawler's dentist, Isaac Yankum. You know, at SummerSlam, following that, a pirate steals his fucking leather jacket. And, you know, then he's got to fight over the honor of his jacket. His fucking jacket, okay? But then he turns around the year in 1995 and he gets an opportunity to face Diesel for the championship at the Survivor Series. And it comes back to him full circle. So, for, for, for Bret Hart to have to go through 1995 dealing with all that bullshit... And, 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 you know, do, making the best of, you know, trying to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Yeah. Brett, 
Santa, Santa deserve you, you deserve a, a, a nice present from Santa this year. You're not getting a lump of coal. <laughs> Very good. Okay. If there's any way you want to elaborate on Bret Hart, because I know you're a Bret guy, by uh, all means. Um, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as that, but before then, uh, no, you, you kind of hit everything. Only thing I'll add is he's he's nice with his technical wrestling skills. Uh, you have to give it up. There's very few people that are more smooth than Bret Hart in the ring. I mean, nowadays, yeah, there's a lot of uh, moves that are stolen, but uh, Bret Hart was always smooth and made it look like it was a struggle um, yep. in the wrestling ring. Oh, I'll never take away his work. Never. Never in a million years. You know, his contributions, what he contributed, never. I mean, one of the all-time greats. My brother, Justin, huge Bret Hart fan. Um, even when I was a youngster, I was a Shawn Michaels guy, but I always enjoyed watching Bret Hart, too. You know, never will take away, you know, what Bret Hart had brought to the wrestling business. And especially his in-ring skills. Like, he made it... He was in a tough spot, okay? You, he was he was a, the face of the company during a time when they were transitioning from, out, you know, out of the big man mold and going with the more athletic style wrestlers. And wrestling wasn't popular at that time either. So, but he he made, you know, he, he made for some memorable, enjoyable moments. So I, I can't really, you know, I, I can't really knock him for that. Um, yeah, but his, his, his in-ring ability, like... Yeah, I'll never take that away. As a human yeah. being now, fuck him. But <laughs> um, okay, let me let me do a package here. All right, go for I, it. I think I think these three people go on the nice list, and uh, I'll sum it up quick. Uh, Howard Finkel. Oh, Howard yes. Finkel. Yes. And um, Lillian Garcia and John Mooney. Just because the tones of those voices in general, but uh, let me start off the top. Howard Finkel, just for being a predominant member backstage for the WWF and uh, coming up with creative things a lot and getting the short end of the stick. Cool WrestleMania. Uh, yeah. The name, I mean, WrestleMania. Uh, yes, indeed. And then those classic calls. We've talked about this uh, on an episode remembering Howard Finkel. Um and, you know, you just, that amazing voice. And new! Introducing uh, the World yeah. Wrestling Federation Champion! Jack Tunney has announced this match must continue! Furthermore! <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, though, I mean, that is just classic wrestling that drew me in. That voice of Howard Fink. Um, and then being the butt of jokes sometimes for the hair club with men and, uh, later on kind of beefing with Lillian Garcia who just I'm putting her in there because she always had a smile on her face and even her 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 announcing wasn't my favorite but the tone of her voice was it just it it brought more uh excitement. more light yeah excitement or light to the situation like you know the rock instead of the rock you yeah. know, or something, you know, like, you know, we kind of got like a little bit lightheartedness with uh, Lillian Garcia, which was a, which was an interesting contrast for the time with the super aggressive era. Yeah. Um, and then Sean Mooney, just for 
being that voice that's always there telling us what's going on in the hotlines or prime time and wrestling and you know uh, last week bret hart got squashed or you know mm-hmm. last week uh, Dave buried the hell out of Brett, and Brett's gonna Brett's gonna eventually come back at Dave. This week he'll bury the hell out of Brett, and then next week he'll bury the hell out of Brett. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the package deal for the announcers there: um, Howard Finkel, Lillian Garcia, and Sean Mooney, all for different reasons. Uh, nice nostalgia there. Okay. How many more you got on your list? I got. I got two. Okay. That All right. are actually viable. Okay. All right. I'll give you two more, and then okay. you know we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth, and you know then we'll you know kind of wrap this thing up here. I'm sure that there's more names we'll forget, um, and and maybe we'll do a, a a nice list companion piece next year uh, for you know Christmas time, uh, or maybe as a bonus show on Retromania uh, Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. But um, absolutely. Uh, one individual that I would probably put on the nice list that uh, it was it's probably because I felt bad for his character at that time um, and some real life circumstances kind of bled into the storyline was uh, I'm gonna go with Shawn Michaels in 1995 when okay. Shawn Michaels um, was assaulted by the random nine Marines in Syracuse New York um, at, at, outside of a nightclub. And then he was forced to forfeit the Intercontinental title to Dean Douglas at the October 1995 In Your House pay-per-view. Um, then his future was a little uncertain. And he was you, you could tell he was on the rise to, to, to the main event. Um, and this kind of halted and derailed his, uh, his push. Even though they, they kind of got back on track and he returned about a month or so later. And then they did the angle where he... He collapsed after the match with Owen Hart, but then he returned in the Royal Rumble match and he won the whole thing. Um, you know, I kind of felt bad for Sean, you know, in '95, you know, around that time because um, I just felt like his character was catching some steam and he was he was getting over with the crowd and he was starting to, for me at least, um, look like a legitimate main event talent that could work at the top with. Um, Bret Hart and Diesel and, you know, Undertaker, and the list goes on and on. Um, not that I didn't feel that way um, in the WrestleMania 11 match, because you and I talked about it when we did the Diesel retrospective for, for uh, the Retromania bonus show, that, uh, you know, that match with, with Diesel at WrestleMania solidified him as a main eventer, where you noticed him, but... As time went on, that just grew and grew, in my opinion. And so, like, he was really starting to, you know, catch some steam and gain some momentum. And then, boom, this shit happened. Um, and then his future was a little uncertain. You know, when you see him come out on TV, he's got these black eyes. And, you know, he's got to forfeit the belt. And, uh, you know, like I said, I just kind of felt bad for him. So, I was... Not that, like, he did anything, per se, to deserve to be on the nice list. But I was like, damn, like, he was really, you know... He was really catching on. Like, you know, he, he kind of deserves a break a little bit here. Um, so that, for me, in 1995, at that time period, I felt like Sean probably deserved to be on the nice list. And then eventually he would kind of get, you know, he, he would win the Rumble, and then he'd be the champion in 96, and then he'd be a complete piece of shit. But, you know, um, yeah, 95, I just feel like he deserved a break. And, you know, maybe, maybe you know, if Santa Claus kind of gave him a little something, you know, that, 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 mm-hmm. that, that would have that helped. And eventually he did, you know. 
So okay, uh, I like that. That was that was a different that was a different approach. I like that though. But yeah, definitely deserved for uh, for Shawn Michaels for going through that time. Even I, who was an avid uh, <clears throat> Bret Hart guy over Shawn Michaels, felt sympathy during that time um, for Shawn Michaels going through that. Um, let's, 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 let me, here's mine. Okay. Reggie Parks, the designer of classic WWF belts. Really? That's an interesting one. Okay. I know, it's, it's different. Because yeah, no, it I does, like it. I'm thinking of people that deserve to be on the nice list for memories. I mean, this is the guy who designed the Winged Eagle belt. Uh, I mean, it, it, what else do I say? Um, he also designed the WCW championship belt uh that kind of resembled the winged eagle belt and you and i are both belt marks and big fans of how belts look i mean reggie parks uh, his his creations will just be laid down in history for what he did nwa i mean you know just you know being part of the nwa the wwf just being able to uh, present that that great classic look because I grew up with the winged eagle belt mm-hmm. um, because I grew up with the WWF tag team belts um, because I grew up with all these uh, belts uh, man I, I can't say anything else Reggie Parks for designing classic belts for us interesting okay um, as you were talking I was like damn I got another one like I, 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 I there's another guy that just came to mind so now I have three more left um, okay so I'm going to start with an obvious one. Um, Ricky Steamboat the Dragon! Yeah, Ricky right. Steamboat, man. Um, kind of in the same vein as Tito Santana. Worked hard. Um, you know, never cut corners. Never cheated. Um, very talented, gifted performer. Uh, you know, he didn't have the, the greatest run as world champion in 89 uh, when he beat Flair. It was, I wouldn't say it was a transitional run, but um, for whatever reason, Steamboat's run was shorter. And But he had those great, you know, the, the great trilogy of matches with Flair at that one point. Um, but yeah, he was just, he seemed like a very, you know, relatable guy, nice guy that worked hard, um, didn't cut corners like I mentioned earlier, and someone that, uh, you know, should should be rewarded for his his hard work and dedication. So, uh, Ricky Steamboat the Dragon definitely deserves to be on the nice list. Um, another individual who I feel deserves a spot in the nice list is uh, the American Dream Dusty Rose Baby. Oh, uh, common man, if you will. Uh, I mean, you know, a man for the people, a guy that represented middle class America. Um, you know, fought from underneath against, you know, guys like the Horsemen and the Russians and, you know, you know Colonel Parker's stud stable. And, you know, Dusty was always fighting for the people, fighting for the underdog. Um, even though Dusty Rhodes was, even though Dusty Rhodes wasn't positioned as an underdog, he had this, like, he had this energy and this vibe about him like he was an underdog, you know? Like, so... I just feel like the Dusty Rhodes character itself and things that he had done over the years um, deserved a spot on Santa Claus's nice list. And my last one, and then I'll let you close this one out, um, is a personal one for me. Um, if I were to put someone on the nice list, 
definitely would have to be Arn Anderson. Okay. Arn Anderson makes my nice list because Arn Anderson did anything and anything that was anything and everything that was asked of him, and I felt like Arn Anderson deserved better. I, me personally, and a lot of people might not feel this way, but I feel like Arn Anderson could have had a short or even a transitional run as a world heavyweight champion. He was that believable as a character. You know, he always played second fiddle to somebody, whether he was, you know, the enforcer in the horseman or, you know, he was, you know, in the dangerous alliance. Um, I just felt like Arn Anderson was such a good performer, a good wrestler, a believable character that he deserved more. You know, and and you know, yeah. I just I I, I think he should be rewarded more uh, for for his contributions in the industry. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of him since I was a kid. He was probably the first bad guy that I liked. You know, same. He, 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 and he never changed. Like, when they even had him as a baby face, like, he was always the same person, you know? Didn't placate to the audience, just kind of did his thing. He looked like that guy, like, that coached your baseball team but could fucking kick your ass. And yeah, so, absolutely. you know, I, I feel like Arn Anderson, um, for everything he's done in the business, deserves more than, than what he, than, than what he was given, than what he earned. So that definitely, in my opinion, puts him uh, on Santa Claus's nice list. One of the nicest spinebusters, too. That's right. The the nicest spinebuster of all yes. time, in my opinion. But why don't you, right. why don't you close this one out? I want to hear your I want to hear your last one, or if you got a couple more. Um, I got I got one more that'll just uh, sew it all up. Okay, um, let's do it. Let's let's just do uh, Owen Hart. Okay. Uh, for, this will be different because, I mean, this guy... This will be different because you fucking trash him on marking out the day's weekend warriors, okay? <laughs> hey, there's just a little death joke every episode. Yeah, just a little Sorry. one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Owen Hart doesn't, coming... It doesn't take much for you to, you know, drop in a death joke every <laughs> once in a while, you know? It just kind of comes out of the sky, out of nowhere. Oh, my God. Fucking yeah. hits um... me right in the lap. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um... Owen Hart, man, for coming in as the Blue Blazer, um, it it definitely took my eye as a kid, and I kind of uh, we've talked about this before. I didn't really get to see it, see everything so chronologically or um, in order as much. So I think I got to saw see Blue Blazer the time that I was seeing Owen Hart reappear as uh, part of High Energy. Um, Always nice in the ring with uh, Inzaguri's drop kicks. Um, Owen Hart is one of the first ever Gaijin IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champions because of his uh, Junior Heavyweight moves. His his basically his innovation in the ring. I mean, you can't go without saying that Brett was a great technician, but Owen was a great innovator. Um, and a lot of the ways of the smarmy heel and the way he would wrestle and carry the match, too. Um, and nice for his contributions as far as being a character behind the stage for for his family. Nobody ever really had a bad word to say about Owen. Um, they always say that he was a ribber. You know, he would have fun and, you know, try to make the job uh, fun yep. for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, and... For that, I, I kind of put him on the nice list. And I guess having one of the nicest bumps ever. Which bump? The last one he took. Oh! oh. 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 
goodness. But oh, no, for, that, for, I'm contemplating editing that one sorry, out. Sorry for no, I'm just kidding. You want to you want to play the Undertaker theme there? Oh, um, Jesus. For, sorry <laughs> for his contributions in the ring and to character of being a smarmy heel and introducing that into the wrestling uh, match as well. Like, you know, Owen was no slouch in the ring. No. He, he was a guy that could carry a face that, you know, couldn't work, uh, you know, that was really green, and Owen could basically wrestle a broomstick yep. um, and make them look good. Owen's one of those guys that definitely got us through the new generation era to the attitude era for carrying a lot of matches on raw and uh the other shows and pay-per-views you know um owen owen hart's contribution to the business uh is just the reason why he goes on the nice list yeah he was a staple of the new generation era i mean you think about new generation you think about brett you think about sean you think about diesel razor undertaker owen yoko uh, even, you know, Davey Boy, like those names, that core group of guys um, that really held it down for the new generation era and, and helped make that transition. Um, it's unfortunate, obviously, with his passing because um, for me as a fan, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed watching Owen. He wasn't one of my favorites, but... Um, when Brett left after the screw job and they brought Owen in and he kind of had a little bit more of an edge to him, you know, he grew, uh-huh. he grew out. I, I grew my damn beard in. And, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I tried to be a tough guy, but uh, he, um, when they when they brought him in and he kind of had a little bit of an edge, and you know, in like the early infancy of the Attitude Era, I was like, I'm digging this. I can get behind this. And I just felt like, he, they brought that in at the wrong place at the wrong time because Steve uh-huh. Austin just blew up and he was the original rebel, you know? He was the original right. badass. So I was really hoping for, you know, Owen Hart to have more of a main event type role. But at the same time, they kind of knew where where he was best suited. And I wouldn't say it was in the mid card, but it was helping further guys up along the card. He was like the Jake the Snake of that era where he helped you, you know, get to work the main event, you know, you work, you know, you worked with Owen to then eventually get to the main event, you know, so, um, I was was disappointed that, like, his WWF run, obviously, like, he didn't get to accomplish more on his own, um, after Brett left, you know, and so, when then with his Well, let me, let let me me throw this out there, could you have seen Owen Hart, I've, I've talked about this, if he had not passed, if he had been, like, gotten a bigger push, if there wasn't the aggression with uh, Bret Hart and the Montreal Screwjob um, and all this politics behind the scene, do you think Owen Hart would have been a, a bigger heel? Maybe he could have been the corporate guy that finally sides with Vince, and he's the corporate champion going against uh, Austin. Now you're you're saying that you're, you're proposing this theory if Brett was still with the company or if he had no left? if Brett was if Brett was gone okay. and they and Owen Owen didn't get devolved and to the Blue Blazer or anything he could have been pushed a big a, into a bigger character like you said they didn't give it you know behind the scenes stuff and everything that, but uh, Austin the same time blowing up but the history between him and Austin. Well, yeah, with, with the next stuff, yeah. I can yes. I, honestly like I could. You know, it's funny you say that because um, 
on the on a recent kicking out at two when I you know on what if Vince screwed Sean I talked about like Brett and the Hart Foundation kind of being those like corporate WWF representatives of Vince McMahon to clean up the World Wrestling Federation from the filth that is like Steve Austin and DX and Undertaker and you know names like that who kind of had that like rebellious attitude um, to their characters and you know I had kind of mapped out a scenario where, you know, if, if Vince screwed Sean, then the Hart Foundation were kind of like the representatives of Vince McMahon helping clean the WWF. Instead of trying to, you know, clean the WWF and the American wrestling fans, they were just trying to clean the WWF as a whole. But I could, like, in your scenario, I can picture Owen being that, you know, corporate representative of Vince, you know. Brett's gone, but Vince recognizes this guy broke Austin's neck. And if he does it again... You know, I can get my championship back, and I can get my WWF back, and so, yeah, I could definitely picture Owen in that like you know corporate role scenario with Vince. Do I see him succeeding and being the champion? Maybe in a transitional period, maybe as like a one-off, almost, almost to the effect of Daniel Bryan when he was the heel. Yes, I can, I can kind of picture that. Maybe Owen having a quick run with the belt. You know, that was during a time period where like you saw title changes on Raw. So I could see Owen winning at a pay-per-view in controversial fashion. He's the corporate champion. He's Vince McMahon's WWF champion. And then they do the rematch, similar to what they did with Kane. When Kane won the belt and then Austin beat him the next night on Raw after King of the Ring. Just to pop a rating. I could see something like that. Or maybe even it lasting a month. And you get a rematch between the two, you know. But definitely that history with Austin and Owen's characters. um, And the neck injury and, and all that that entailed. Yeah, I could definitely picture with Brett out of the with Brett out of the way, Owen kind of having that 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 shine as, as being associated with Vince and you know Vince trying to mold him into the corporate champion against Steve yeah. Austin. But yeah, yeah I, I so like sorry your choice. Going off the rails, no, 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 no. That's Owen great. Hart. I have no problem Owen with that. On the nice list. Definitely, I I definitely agree. His contributions, um, you know, his his ability in the ring, what he's done. Um, yeah, definitely deserves a spot in the nice list. Well, this was a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you uh, help, helping me out with this and uh, taking the time. Um, why don't you uh, Why don't you let everybody know where we can find uh, all things Retromania? Retromania, you can search Retromania with a W on Facebook. Join in the fun. We'll, we ask some questions there. We post some memes up. Uh, Dave kicking out at two is always a part of the Facebook event there for Retromania with the W. You can find our home base of podcasts at Podbean. Um, you can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any podcasting app by searching Retromania with a W. You can write to us if you want to request some uh, content for Dave and I to review, go over, maybe a, a topic like this. Um, always write to us at Retromania Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and that's it. Thanks, Dave. I really enjoyed this. This was fun. I hope you have a good Christmas, and I hope everybody else does too. And I hope you're, everybody else is on the nice list rather than the naughty list this year. We've all had a very hard uh, 2020 in some way, or a very difficult or a trying 2020. Um, let's make 2021 nicer. Yeah, the, o- the, only, the only people or individuals or entities that are on the naughty list are 2020. And, yeah. and COVID. That's it. Twenty twenty and COVID are on the night are on the naughty list. Everyone else is on the nice list because you've had to put up with all that shit. 
Um, yes. But nonetheless, I uh, hope you guys are all enjoying the December month-long binge. Uh, I tried something a little different instead of doing weekly. I'm just dropping all the shows at once and giving you guys the opportunity to binge them at your disposal. So, uh, you know, we, we got action figure um, retrospectives where I've gone over my uh, action figure collection with WCW Galoob, the ECW Old San Francisco Toymaker, my Hasbro collection. Uh, I have a Hanukkah episode up on the stream, as well as um, this episode here, the night, the, uh, the, the the nice list, and uh, rounding out the December month of binges, we have the, um, the, the the Fuck You 2020 Watch Party, where, you know, if there was a wrestling pay-per-view in history that resembled what 2020 was all about, we watched it. We had a number of choices. Dennis and I went through that, and uh, you know, if you haven't watched that already, if you haven't listened to that podcast already, check it out. It's called Fuck You 2020 um, on the December month-long binge here on Kicking Out a Tune. With that being said, I think it's about that time that we put this show officially down for the three count. Check you out next time.